scripture on the screen today. I'm going to simply talk to you, and I'm going to read to you from Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 5. The reason it will not be on the screen today is because I want you to hear. I just want you to listen. There are times that we do this in here where I say, I, I just want you to listen for just a minute. Some people get distracted as they're reading along. I just want you to listen. I just want you to listen. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to go back and read Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 5 when you go home. Now, you can do that tonight, you can do it tomorrow night, you can do it tomorrow morning, I don't care. I ask that you just go and read it for yourself. Admittedly, Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 5 are hard for us to wrap our minds around. I will be the first one to admit that. And, and, and my desire for you reading that is not so that you can comprehend all of the details about all the symbolism that is in there and all the references back to Daniel and all of that kind of stuff. My, my desire is that you recognize the glory of God. 
so that when you pray the next time, you will be praying to that God and not some God that you have made up in your mind that you're praying to. I believe one of the key elements that we're missing so many times in prayer is a recognition of the glory and the majesty of the one that we're praying to. Is God your daddy? Literally described, if you look at the original text, yes, he is your daddy. Is, he, is God your friend? Yes, he is your friend. But I want you to understand that, that when you see those, you need to see those in context and realize the majesty and the glory of the one who you are praying to. I, I, I think that, that sometimes we're, we're too flippant in our prayers. I, I think that sometimes we're not given the right level of importance and the right level of glory to the one that we're praying to. I think that we've got him down here some level, somewhere on this level, and he's, he's not way up here like he deserves to be. So if I want you to see something today, I want you to see the glory and the majesty of God. And that's why all I'm going to do to you is I'm going to read Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 5 to you at the end. And I'm going to actually have the band come up here when we do that. But for right now, I just want to tell you just a little bit about the guy who wrote this. Can I kind of take, take down memory lane with this guy named John? This guy named John, he's a follower of Jesus, right? And if you participated in our small group study, you got to see each of the disciples in detail. We looked at, at their lives and who they were and the fact that these were ordinary men called to an extraordinary purpose. And I just want to tell you a little bit about John. I want you to recognize where he is and what he's gone through and what he's seen and what he's experienced in his life. Before God shows him heaven, before Jesus brings him up to heaven and lets him get a glimpse of the majesty of God in, in his full presence and where he is in heaven. And we get a glimpse of that in Revelation chapter 4. You see, John's one of the followers of Jesus, right? He, he's, he's, he's got a, a brother named James, and he's got a buddy named Andrew. And Andrew and John are like hanging around with John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the one that's supposed to prepare the way for Jesus to come. And he preaches repentance. And he talks about how God's kingdom is coming. You need to prepare yourself. You need to repent. You need to be baptized. And that's why we call him John the Baptist. Well, Andrew and John hang around this guy because they like the stuff that he's saying. They they understand that he is preparing the way for the Messiah. So they follow him around. John, had a, uh, John the Baptist had a lot of followers, people that followed him around and listened to his teaching. Well, Andrew and John happened to be two of these guys. And, and, and one day, one day, there was John the Baptist. He's baptizing people in the Jordan River. John the Baptist goes, Behold the Lamb of God. And they spend some time with Jesus. As a matter of fact, they go and stay with him that evening. Talk to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. And then sometime later, they got their fishing business. James and John, they're, they're in the fishing business, right? They have their own boats. They have their own nets. You think, well, these guys are probably poor, poor fishermen. Maybe not, you know, to have your own boats and then to have your own nets and stuff means you probably make a decent living. Maybe not an exorbitant amount of money, but you make a decent living. 
They got a buddy named Peter that hangs out with them and fishes a good bit. And they're in the fishing business, and, and Jesus walks to them up on the shore one day and just says, follow me. Come and follow me. The invitation that Jesus gives to these guys is, follow me. And they leave everything behind, and they start following Jesus. You say, well, that sounds kind of strange if somebody would do that. Well, in those days, it was not uncommon for Jewish rabbis uh, to have an apprentice, or an apprentice, if you will. Uh, this is not a Donald Trump thing, but it, they would have an apprentice where they would follow them around while they would teach and they would show them, uh, you know, Jewish law and they would teach them Jewish law and show them how to live. And, and, and people would follow around these Jewish rabbis. As a matter of fact, they kind of looked at Jesus that way and, and they actually called Jesus rabbi many times, if you see that in scripture. And that just simply means teacher. He was simply their teacher, and John would follow him around. And as John followed him around, him and Jesus started developing a relationship. He was really close to Jesus. You can imagine day in and day out being around somebody. Eventually, you're going to form a relationship with them, right? Well, he happened to form a really close relationship with Jesus, so much so that when you see John reference himself in the New Testament, he, he doesn't say John talking about himself. He says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, wouldn't that be cool if you could be known as a disciple whom Jesus loved? That's my name. I, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. I'm not talking about Kenny. I'm talking about John saying this. And I, I'm, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. That would be really cool to be able to, to reference yourself that way, would it not? Him and Jesus, they, they got a close bond. John was really one of the youngest in the group, as a matter of fact, if not the youngest. And, and, and he's developed this relationship with Jesus. James, John, and Peter, they're kind of like in the inner circle with Jesus, along with Andrew to some degree, but those guys are really close to Jesus. And, and John, if you read his gospel, he, 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 he has an account, his account of Jesus. This is why I recommend people, when you, you're like, what do I need to read when I go to read the Bible? If you're a new Christian, you'll know what to read. I, I tell you to go start with John and read John. If you, you, you want to read like a good New Testament account of Jesus, go read John. Go read John. Uh, one of the reasons is because if he was there in a lot of times when the other disciples weren't. His, re his recordings are a lot more detailed in a lot of ways. So that's the reason I like the book of John. Uh, I, 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 like, I like reading John because he was there when a lot of them weren't. As a matter of fact, in particular, during the time of the crucifixion. Well, John develops this close relationship with Jesus. He calls himself a disciple whom Jesus loved. He's one of the younger guys. And, and, and he was privy to some, some times that, that some of the other disciples didn't get to go and be with Jesus. But him and his brother James, they were a little bit rough around the edges, to be honest with you. I don't know if you call them rednecks. Maybe you would. I don't know. But I can tell you this. Uh, there was one time when Jesus was telling them, look, um, you guys go ahead and prepare the way for us. Tell everybody we're coming to town and make sure we got a place to stay. And even as we go into Samaria, which is a place where the Jews didn't like the Samaritans at all, when they would go through, I mean, Jews would avoid going through Samaria if they could. Well, Jesus said, we all go through Samaria and tell them that we're coming and make sure we got a place to stay and food to eat and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and the Samaritans did not welcome them. They said, no, we don't really want you here. And James and John, these two brothers, 
They said, well, I got an idea, Jesus. Why don't you just call fire down from heaven on them? Why don't you just destroy them and take them out because we don't need them? They deserve that. <laughs> You're like, whoa, this is a disciple of Jesus and he was saying that? Yeah. They were just as dumb as you and I a lot of times, right? We know Peter was, but, but we don't hear a lot about James and John. So, so because they were a little rough around the edges, Jesus gave them a nickname, the Sons of Thunder. He said, and I, I believe he was poking fun of them a little bit, you know what I mean? To say they're sons of thunder means that they're like really loud and boisterous and <laughs> there's a whole lot of racket but not a whole lot behind it, you know what I'm saying? Like, like they're the sons of thunder is what he called them. As a matter of fact, not only were they, they, uh, they, they a little, little rough around the edges, maybe a little bit redneck, but, but they also were a little bit egotistical. But a little bit uh, high on themselves, if you will, right? Because Jesus was, was talking and, and telling and been teaching and all this stuff. And, and James and John have this great idea one day. Hey, I know what. Jesus, why don't you set up your kingdom and I'll sit on your right and he'll sit on your left. And we'll just be your dudes and you'll, you'll, you'll rule and reign and we'll, be, and we'll be sitting on thrones right beside you. And they even got their mama involved. Well, why don't you go ask him if that's okay. We, Sit one, sit one on your right, one on your left. And of course, Jesus is saying, you don't even know what you're asking. You don't even know what it means to, to, to be in the place that I'm in. You see, Jesus knows it's going to mean his crucifixion. Well, if those guys knew at that point in time that it means they have to be crucified in order to be able to be there in that place, I don't think they would have said, yeah, sign us up for that. That's the whole story of Christianity, right? Like, like it, it looks one way on the outside, but the relationship itself, it's like once you're in there, you're like, man... Wow, there's so much to this. You know what I mean? Like people, people not in this building, people that are driving by today, they, 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 they don't really comprehend the gravity of what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. And I think these guys had to learn that. And, and Jesus was teaching them. And he called them nicknames like the Sons of Thunder, you know? And here you got James and John and Peter, and they're all in this tight-knit group, and they they're there when. You remember when, when the lady with the issue of blood, she's walking along and Jesus grabs, or she grabs the hem of Jesus' garment. You remember that? And instantly she was healed. You remember that story? Well, he was on his way to this ruler of the synagogue's house. His name was Jairus. And his daughter was dead. You can read about this in Luke chapter 8. And, and, and he goes to Jairus' house and, and everybody's crying because there's a funeral going on because the little girl has died. Jairus has invited Jesus to come to his house to heal his daughter. The little girl is dead. There's a funeral going on, and Jesus comes in and disrupts the funeral. He runs everybody out and says, the funeral's over. We're done here. There is no funeral because the girl's not dead. She's just asleep. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're sure she's dead. She just died. We, we know. We, we saw her die. And Jesus is like, no, I'm telling you, get out. And he runs everybody out of the house, and he goes in there. And he takes the parents of the little girl, and he takes Peter and James and John, and they go in, and he places his hands on this little girl, and he says, Talithia kumi. Talithia kumi. Which means, maiden, arise. And she gets up. From death to life, she gets up. Jesus had to veil himself 
because he's God, right? So he had to kind of shield himself from them seeing his, him in his full glory. Because he was God, if they were to see him in his full glory, then they would be consumed and they would die because they could not be in the presence of his full glory. God did not allow them to see him fully for who he was. Well, Peter, James, and John are able to go up on what's called the Mount of Transfiguration. They're able to follow Jesus to this place where, where, where Jesus actually transfigures and they get to see more and more of Jesus for who he is and the fact that he is God and they get to see him more and more in like the godly figure that he is and he's there and he's able to see it and then not only does Jesus do that not only does Jesus become more like God but he also has a conversation with Moses and Elijah who are there Jesus starts carrying on a conversation with Moses and Elijah who have appeared from heaven I can just imagine standing in the presence of that, right? Jesus carrying on a conversation with Moses and Elijah up on a mountaintop. And Peter goes, man, this is good. Let's just set up some tents right here. One, a house for you, Moses. One for you, Elijah. One for you, Jesus. We'll just worship you all day long. And then you know who speaks? God. God speaks, raining down from heaven. This is my son of whom I am well pleased. This is my son. Listen to what he's saying. This is my son. God recognizing Jesus for who he is. And John is in the presence of that majesty. Do you pray like that? Do you pray like you're standing there in the presence of God and Elijah and Moses and Jesus revealing himself as God of the universe? Is that how you pray? This is the Last Supper, right? 
you've seen the painting and all that, so you, you know this is the Last Supper. Well, let me tell you something that happens there. Jesus stands up and says, there's one of you guys that's going to betray me. One of you guys that, that's going to sell me out. And we all know that that's Judas Iscariot, right? We all know who that is, but, but they don't know who that is at that point in time. They're all whispering back and forth, and they're all trying to figure out who it is. Who, who's going to betray Jesus? And then Peter, who is known for not being afraid to say anything, in this moment he's afraid to ask Jesus who it is. Peter's normally the one that will stick his foot in his mouth no matter what's going on and say the wrong thing at the wrong time all the time. That's how Peter's kind of known. But at this particular time, he recognizes the gravity of the situation. And instead of asking Jesus who it is that's going to betray him, you know who we ask? He goes, John. Hey, John. Will you find out who it is for me? You go ask Jesus. What does that say about John's relationship with Jesus if Peter goes to him and asks him to ask Jesus who it is? Over and over again. 
It's unlikely that Peter would have come to the crucifixion after having denied him all those times and, and for fear of his life. It's unlikely that the disciples were around, but John was there. We know that John was there. One, because of the things he recorded in Scripture, and also because when Jesus was hanging on the cross, when, when he was dying, when, when see, they, they had beaten Jesus, and they, they beat him with whips that would tear the flesh off his bones. They would not just tear flesh, but also tear muscle off his bones, so he was barely recognizable when he was hanging on the cross, and John was there to witness that. And then when they crucified Jesus, and hung him up there on the cross, John was there. We know John was there because he looked at his mother. Jesus looked at his very own mother. And he said this. He said, woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. You don't just turn your mother over to anybody. That's how much he loved John and cared about John. The fact that he said, John, you've got a responsibility to take care of my mother. You know, I, I, I've got to go away and I, I've got to die. But, but somebody's got to be there to take care of my mother. And, and mother... He's going to be the one to take care of you. And Jesus gave up his spirit right there on the cross. They didn't kill him. Jesus allowed himself to die. Because it was the will of God. And then when the women went to the, the tomb after three days, they came back and they came said, man, they've taken Jesus. Jesus is not there. He's not in the tomb. He's nowhere to be found. Well, Peter and John take off, and they start running. Well, John passes Peter, and he's the first one to get to the tomb, and he's the first one to see the grave clothes inside the tomb neatly folded. And what that meant in Jewish culture is that I'm returning. You see, when, when you leave a napkin behind at your meal, if you fold the napkin, that means that you're coming back. If you leave the napkin crumpled at your seat, then that means you're finished. You're not returning. Jesus left his grave clothes folded in the tomb so that we would know that he is returning. And John is the first one that got to see that. The first one that got to see that. And then one day, when the disciples have gone back fishing, after, after Jesus is, is gone, and they've gone back fishing, and James and John and Peter, they're all in the boat. They're doing their normal thing, and not catching anything and Jesus calls out from the shore. They know who it was. He said, he said, try casting your nets on the other side. And the words of John, these guys are in the boat a long way from shore. And the words of John said, that's the Lord. That's my Lord. That's who that is. He recognized his voice. John continues Continues to preach the gospel so much so that in the book of Acts you can read about how John and Peter they say if you don't stop talking about Jesus and you don't stop talking about his kingdom and what he has done and the sacrifice he's made on the cross if you don't stop talking about that then we're going to beat you and if you don't stop talking about it again we're going to beat you again and we're going to keep whipping you and beating you and destroying you and tearing you down until you stop talking about Jesus I said I need us all you want to 
He's the only one that lives to be an old age. All the other, he gets to watch his brother, James, uh, be uh, martyred. He's one of the first ones to die. His brother dies. Peter dies. All the disciples die off, and John's still there. He's still on the earth. Now, they, they tortured John. All indications in church history is that they tortured John, maybe even boiled him in oil or in water to try to keep him from talking about Jesus. But they couldn't do it. There was no amount of beating. There was no amount of torture they could put him through to keep him from talking about Jesus. They said, well, if we can't, if we can't keep him from talking about Jesus, at least he won't have anybody to talk to. So we'll banish him to an island off the coast of Turkey called Patmos. We'll banish him there, and he won't be able to talk to anybody from there. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. 
The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. When the third had a human face. And the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings. And their wings were covered all over with eyes inside and out. Day after day and night after night. They kept on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of God. The Almighty, the one who is always and who is and is to come. Whether the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne and the one who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne and the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. Listen to the words of John and what he says. When I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll. And it was sealed with the seven seals. And the, I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice. Who is worthy to break the seal on the scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Then I began to weep bitterly. No one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. One of the 24 elders said, Stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah and the heir to David's throne, the one who has victory, he is worthy to open the scroll and seven seals. And I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered. But it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings. And among the 24 elders, he had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the four, 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they held bowls of gold filled with incense, which were the prayers of God's people sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were, you were slaughtered and your blood was ransomed for the people of God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God and they will reign on the earth. And I looked again and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne of the living beings and the elders and they sang in a mighty chorus worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing then I heard a creature, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever Four living beings said, Amen. The 24 elders fell down and worshipped the Lamb. Father, may you be glorified. May the King who we've read about in this book that you've revealed to John, may we worship that King now. May we pray to you humbly. May we come to you and before your throne and ask, God, recognizing your glory and your majesty and what you're capable of. 
afraid of their king, maybe for the first time ever. Recognizing who you are and how you have revealed yourself. God, speak to these people, speak to their hearts, and may they humbly come before your throne in prayer. Just simply cry out to you, King of Kings, the Lamb who was slaughtered, the one who is worthy of our praise. May we do that in spirit and in truth right now. In Jesus' name.